Welcome to the Permaculture for the Future podcast. I'm your host, Josh Robinson. The world is full of negative news, and the planet seems to be in an ecological crisis. And this can be downright disheartening and disenfranchising because we feel that there's nothing that each one of us can do as an individual that can make any difference. Well, I'm here to provide a different perspective, to tell a new story. The Permaculture for the Future podcast is all about spreading positive and impactful stories, tips, and ways that each one of us can transition into a regenerative lifestyle where we can make an ecological impact. We talk about simple ways to make lifestyle changes as we interview authors, teachers, and other folks that are collectively healing ourselves and the planet. So if you want to make an ecological impact, stick around because this podcast is for you. Hi, welcome to our episode number 16 of the Permaculture and Future Post podcast. I'm your co-host, Zoe Robinson. Well, big thank you to my co-host there, Zoe. Now, we have a great show coming up today with episode 16 here. Uh, We're going to be talking with a good friend of mine, Deanna Moore about permaculture, business, the coronavirus, and how all of this is just impacting us in this moment, but looking for these opportunities. Now, before we get into that, I want to make a mention of this first online permaculture design course that we've ever offered that's going to be starting up in just about one week after this show drops. So if you're one of the early listeners of this podcast show now, it's a perfect opportunity, especially if you're at home uh, being quarantined because of the coronavirus, or if you just want to up your skill level, uh, the online permaculture design course is sure to be one of our best yet. We have so many unique opportunities ahead of us, and we're going to be covering a lot of the things that we, we talk about in this show and more. So jump on over to our show notes page. And you'll get a link there that'll take you to our online permaculture design course. And now on to today's show. We're going to be joined by a good friend of mine, Deanna Moore, who I've known for quite some time. And we've been involved in a number of different projects together. She's somebody that I often look up to. Uh, She's a serial entrepreneur, has started multiple businesses, and has a really good framework around permaculture business, economics, and all of those kinds of things. So she's also one of our land partners at TerraCore Zone, where we're building a couple of houses together. So pretty soon here, we're going to actually be neighbors as well. Without further ado, here's Deanna. I'll catch you all at the end and recap. All right. Enjoy. Well, welcome, Deanna, to the Permaculture for the Future podcast. I'm so excited that we are getting a chance to talk here. You're somebody that I've known, what, we were just talking yesterday, what, what's it, like 15 years or something like that, where we met first at Prescott College? Yep. And you were studying something around permaculture at that point as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
I was just starting the program and I think you were just wrapping up your master's degree. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing over these years and just what your background is? Sure. Yeah. Well, actually, Prescott College time is like probably a good segue into that. I was at Prescott College. Yeah, I think it was, I think it was like 2005, 2006. And I was kind of studying ethnoecology, education, ecology, permaculture, how everything kind of fit together. And one of the big pieces that I was looking at is what's kind of a sustainable and regenerative model of education. And one of the things I did was kind of look at how indigenous cultures and other cultures around the world, you know, taught their kind of different generations. And one of the things I came up with, you know, was how important things like food traditions were um, an important way of teaching because you have to grow your food, process your food, and it incorporates a lot of different aspects of culture. So I, I ended up, I think for my thesis, writing a kind of a business plan for a, like a native kind of restaurant um, and, and food system and using that as a platform to teach people about wild food, sustainability, you know, a regenerative business. And then what that ended up evolving into for me was not like a brick and mortar restaurant. I did teach people about food a lot and realized that like having gatherings with food was a way of getting people there. But um, I ended up getting really into chocolate. Um, I actually traveled to West Africa during my Prescott College years and visited at the time one of the first trade, first fair trade um, cacao cooperatives um, out on in that area. And I ended up deciding to start a chocolate company in order, you know, as a platform to teach people about uh, kind of reg- regenerative agriculture practices. And also, you know, chocolate's a way to get people in the room and get people's attention as well. Yeah. So that kind of evolved into that. So for 10 years, I had a, over 10 years, I had ran a chocolate company called Chocolatl. And my favorite part of it was going around and teaching people about where chocolate comes from and the people involved with it and what the difference is between, you know, cacao that was grown in, you know, more of a kind of industrial farming situation, you know, in an unsustainable way and kind of juxtaposing that to more regenerative, you know, socially regenerative and ecologically regenerative models for that. So yeah, and and throughout that journey, you know, we would incorporate some really interesting things into into chocolate, including one of my favorite things, medicinal mushrooms, which is where um, what I'm working on a lot, you know, right now. Yeah, so a lot of it still the theme is teaching people through through food how to both regenerate their bodies, their minds, and then also the earth, and how to create you know community along the way. So. Yeah. I mean, food is one of those things that all of us, you know, really congregate around. And I think it can be, like you said, a very powerful means of providing that that education. And especially, I mean, it is a, at this point, become almost like a commodity, where we all need to eat. And there hasn't been a lot of people don't necessarily think about the differences between how things are produced. And I guess as you know, our audience tends to see that value and, and really kind of jump at it. But it's an interesting area because I know from, you know, working with you over the years and, and talking about your your business, just the, some of the challenges that are involved in that. Because 
Well, one, I mean, you are working with the farmers themselves and trying to kind of have this complete picture around uh, how everything is produced and and want to pay a, a fair and living wage to those workers as well. So it's kind of like that triple bottom line uh, approach, which just means that your costs are going to be so much higher than, say, you know, Hershey's or one of these other, you know, commodity chocolate bars. We're talking about essentially two different products, if you could even call it chocolate, <laughs> you know, at this point. Totally. Yeah. And at that point, I mean, I, and it's interesting too, and an interesting point now, I just want to put the piece in. I've gotten a lot more into, as you know, working with mezcal, which is a really cool model because, you know, with chocolate, we would get the cacao beans and we would produce everything here. And it was really cool. But, you know, when you're working with like real artisan producers in these very simple processes to create like what you just said is a commodity, like what's differentiates a commodity with this thing that has, you know, so much more body energy and body cost to it. But just to touch back on the chocolate piece. Yeah. Like back in, you know, 2007, it's like, I was trying to sell, you know, $10 bars of chocolate. And it's like, how do you do that? How do you educate people on why they want to invest their money in that? And once you take a process, I would call it demystifying chocolate because you take a pro, you know, people would, would scoff at, at the idea of like, oh, why would, why would anyone buy this? You know, and I had to convince, you know, the customer and also, you know, investors and everything on, on like, why would people buy something like this? And once you demystify that process and who the people are and what the, what goes into that, it, it really makes sense. I think even on, on a, on a logical level, but also on an emotional level that like, oh, you know, we're paying for people, like you said, to get be getting paid a living wage. And, you know, they're not, you know, raping and pillaging, <laughs> essentially their homes to grow as much as they can. It's like they also have their food integrated into the system that they're growing. And so there's a lot more going into that. I mean, you know, it's not, it's definitely not cut and dry. It's still like, there's a lot of people trying to do the right thing that that aren't fully pulling it off. Um, and, and there's a lot to kind of cut through with all that. But the bottom line is, I think the closer you can get to a direct line between, you know, the source and the maker and, you know, as, as few distributors or points of contact as possible is really, really, I think the easiest way to, to make sure you are, you know, your source has integrity for sure. And I think this whole, the whole movement toward kind of decommodifying things, you know, someone actually I talked to the other day, called me, I get people, you know, calling me wanting to start a product. And this woman wanted to start a sourdough starter company, you know, and it's that same thing. Like, how do you convince people to pay all this money, you know, for the starter, but the story behind it is the understanding of of where things are coming from and why you want to buy something, you know, locally that has a history and, you know, comes from several generations back has an inherent value. You know, I think it's cool that people are starting to value that stuff more. Mm -hmm. One thing I want to kind of get into and and tying this into the permaculture movement and just permaculture in general. Mm -hmm. Over the last number of years, you've been a guest presenter in our permaculture design courses. And I bring you in to talk about a lot of, you know, your work in this realm through the perspective of the economy and through more specifically business and entrepreneurship. Do you want to talk a little bit about your approach there in business and and just the power of that into actually making change? 
Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think it starts with really determining what values you have, kind of like in permaculture, you know, you start with the core values. So it's really looking at at those and how you want to build your, your business around that. And, you know, in permaculture, it's, you know, care of earth, care of people and, and fair share, which is kind of exactly like the triple bottom line that you brought up a minute ago. You know, I think that there's a, a number of different ways I could probably take this, but I think a lot of people in permaculture particularly have these, you know, a lot of idealistic kind of visions of what they want to do with their business. And one of the things I like just for people to start out with is writing down or coming up with a bunch of ideas on what kind of business model they could have. So instead of holding on to just this one idea of like, whether it's a product or a service, you know, and I think this ties in a lot even to just building in like a resilience, you know, with how we can think about and approach business and and not just like thinking of business as like kind of stodgy old path as usual, you know, either making a product and getting it into stores or, you know, teaching a course, but how can you kind of take different ideas, multiple ideas, and just kind of get into that process of just realizing that you can exercise this in yourself to be kind of an idea making machine. And then the second part of it is like the in permaculture, we talk about like, you know, start with a garden, you know, in your backyard, like get, get, you know, produce a yield, obtain a yield, get something going fast. And I think that we have everything we need. We do not need to reinvent the wheel in ways in 2020. <laughs> so I think, you know, a lot of people have these barriers either like, oh, I need to have the perfect this or the perfect that, the perfect packaging or the perfect curriculum or, the perfect relationships to do certain things. And I think, you know, if you go with that piece of, of obtaining a yield, it's really like, what's this? How can you close the gap faster and just take action? Because, or I need to get really clear on what I want to do, or I need to quit my job. And it's really like, well, what can you do now with what you have? Like, if you have two hours a day, like, how can you be working on your projects? And, you know, again, an example, you know, someone I talked to recently, they're like, Oh, well, I have this packaging and idea in mind. And I just I've you know called everybody and I don't know how to get exactly what I want. And I said, Well, write down five other, you know, options you'd want to have your packaging. And if that's your barrier, like, what's your barrier to entry and really like, looking at how to, again, get creative and 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 you may maybe compromise a little in, in one direction or just to, to get a, an obtain a yield to just put yourself out there. Because the reality is, is like, I would say, you know, too, we don't want to, and I've done, I've done it this way, but you know, if you haven't done something, you might not want to like raise a bunch of money and then de- have to dedicate 10 years of your life to doing it. So it's like, how can you do it for free or for just a little bit of investment and just get it going? And then I think that's when the clarity comes too, because then you get feedback, right? Like just like permaculture, you can get feedback and apply that to what you want to do. And I think that we have that luxury now, like we have... We literally have so many resources for free. Um, we have access to people. We have access to things. There's some really good like collaborative and community models of resource sharing. So yeah, I would say those three pieces of just like you know generate ideas. And you know if you have one idea, it might not be a good idea. So keep keep thinking about be being creative in that way, kind of closing the gap and obtaining a yield, and then being able to get clear on that. So hey, let me just pause you for a bit. I have a question for you. Are you an aspiring podcaster and you don't have the technical know-how of podcasting? Or you already have a podcast, but you have limited time or skills to do the post-production yourself? Don't worry. Podspring is the best thing for you. 
Podspring, a made-for-you podcast production, offers a complete package for as low as $79 per episode. Podspring, who helped produce this podcast, does audio, graphics, videos, publish episodes, and anything you need to get your podcast running. They will help you turn your simple recordings into broadcast-quality episodes, so you'll have more time doing your business or get that well-deserved family time. If you subscribe now, you'll get a free podcast pack that includes a USB microphone, headphone, and boom arm. Great if you don't have the equipment yet, or you could turn it into a $150 discount. Just use the referral code PERMACULTURE when you sign up at podspring.net. Sign up now at podspring.net. Now, let's get back to the episode. So what I wanted to talk about was this role of, of business and making an impact. And I think a lot of people look at business as a really negative entity. It's, you know, a lot of people will see business as really the problem of many or the cause of many of our ecological problems. And to a large degree, I think there is something to be said there. But I think when we look at business as a tool, all of a sudden, we can realize that there is the potential to make it not do something that's just bad, but actually using it as a tool for good and and really creating that change that we want. Now, in the societies that we're in right now, all of us have to have a job of some kind in order to, you know, pay our bills, put food on the table, pay, you know, rent, mortgage, whatever it is. It's just, it's a necessity of that current state that we're in. It's really hard to drop out of that because you're going essentially against the grain of everything, right? That's been in there. And, you know, a lot of people want work that is meaningful to them right? That is doing good. And they start to look around for like these jobs. And and when they're looking around and trying to, you know, apply to someplace, they realize, hey, you know, like these positions aren't there, they aren't available. I want, you know, that it's just not as easy as it seems. Now, you and I have always been, or for a number of years here, been kind of more of this entrepreneurial uh, uh, spirit of, of going out and seeing where these opportunities are. Can you talk a little bit about like your process in that and like how you go about, I mean, looking at business as this opportunity to do good and then, you know, maybe how you just go around, uh, you know, starting? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, first of all, yeah, I mean, capitalism's like, it's insane, like literally insane. There's no limits to, you know, how much we consume and the effects of that have been horrible. But the reason why, I mean, the businesses that have come in that, that have had the permaculture values and that have been expression of people like us doing things have the ability to the more and more people that, that join that, you know, really it influences how, you know, it creates a movement essentially and that can create change. And so I mean, I've seen, and I'm sure you have too, over the years, like, you know, 15 years, like how many more, you know, businesses are around that have integrated more of the shared values that we have into their, their practices. And also, you know, as, you know, consumers have also demanded that from businesses as well. 
And so some companies have been forced to jump on the bandwagon or to not be around at all. Of course, the greenwashing thing happens too. Maybe that's not such a bad thing because some, I think it's gotten kind of deeper and deeper into actual change. At least I like to think so. And yeah, I mean, I came from kind of working, you know, in the nonprofit realm and, and, you know, also the more kind of academic, you know, conservation realm. And so, you know, making the jump into having a business was kind of, kind of a hard leap, but it's really jumping in playing kind of the game, so to speak, but, but with this integrated value system. Also, I know I'm an idealist and I can be a purist. And I think business can also be very humbling for people that have those set of ideals, you know, because you realize that you, you know, you, you know, do we do have to make compromises. Yeah. Unless we want to live way on the fringes, you know, we, it's, you know, um, it's hard, but it's, you know, it's supposed to be hard. And I think that's where we want to go is like what problems need solving and how can we use ourselves as vehicles and tools for that too. But, but yeah, just business in general isn't a bad thing. Commerce and trade have been around forever. And I think it takes creative people that think outside the box to create change. And so if we just stay on the outskirts, like complaining or, you know, not engaging, then that's not going to do anything very effectively or have the impact, I think that it can, you know, and I think it takes, it takes a lot of people to really create that change and it takes time too. But yeah, I mean, being able to take the value set that we have, put it back into and infuse it into this capitalist kind of system. That's the only way that we're going to be able to create change in a good way. And I know a number of people, I mean, we have so many friends that do this too, you know, and, and it's also, you know, I think of Mescal as well, like that whole industry is at a really fragile place of being turned into a commodity. And there's people fighting, like fighting and standing up. And they're like, no, we don't want this to become tequila. No. Like they're having really hard conversations all over the place. And it's really, really, really cool to see because this industry, this small industry thrives on its authenticity and it thrives on its simplicity and it thrives on small families doing what they've done for generations and you know a very very deep sense of place and the minute you try and commodify that it turns it into something different but if it can be done in the right way and preserved in the right way it's providing livelihoods for so many people in very very marginalized areas and that can have express that can live on the land grow their own food live in a simple way minimal impact, but they can actually like create a product that's magical. I think I love that. And I think that that's in a different place in a different context than here, for instance, in San Diego. But, you know, like you said, people need to make a livelihood and, and create and create like we need to work, we need to have a job, like no matter whether it's, we're in capitalism or whatever system we're in. And how do we do that in the right way? And that's really and it's a hard question, you know, <laughs> it's a hard answer. Yeah. But I think the more that we can afford, I think we can afford to take risk and the more we can afford to get out there and in order to kind of play that game. And I say play the game because, you know, it is really about being engaged. It's like an engaging, like it's a conversation, I guess, if we can enter in that conversation, then the return on that risk can be having money, but it also is creating other types of capital, which you talk about in your permaculture course too, is like you get social capital. I mean, I've gotten, I'm, kind of, you know, I've built 
my best relationships in business, you know, through my business. Like my my best friends come from us working together and it's a really collaborative connecting environments, especially if you're in you know, in a team or working in like a, a culture, you know, like I was in the natural food industry and just having that culture, like it's, it's really fun. And that's, that's a value to me, you know, kind of all over the place right now. But does that answer any of your questions? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it really is getting at to the, the core of a lot of this, this kind of stuff. And I think right now we're at a really interesting time and place to be able to really reanalyze the whole model, right? Because we're starting to see like, yes, we've been in this capitalist society and many countries around the world are, you know, have also been following these capitalist models. And as you were, you know, alluding to just a second ago with the eight forms of capital, it's like, you know, capitalism, you know, basically just looks at this money side of the equation. And yet, you know, hidden within all of that are like all of these other ways and, and things that we, we begin to value, whether it's the, the cultural, spiritual, the connections that we make amongst, you know, individuals and the educational experiences that we're all gaining through this. But those tend to be seen at just as a lesser value. And right now with the whole pandemic that we're in, we're seeing that there's a, a really kind of fragile nature in the current capitalist model. And I guess what I want to look at with you here is what do you see moving forward as like maybe some of these opportunities to transition? You know, like if there were ever a point in history to kind of like begin to transition from one system to something that maybe is a little bit more equitable that could by its nature, work to help heal ecosystems, the planet, ourselves? Like, what does that even look like? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it's, it brings up so much. I mean, it's so crazy to be in this time. And it's so funny because like, I mean, I think it's bringing up so much. Like, I think we're all like, we're all kind of stopping a little bit. And we're all I think it's a chance for people to a have some of their insecurities come up and also have some of the things realizations around like what matters come up. So there's like that individual just like reevaluation of what matters, which is really cool. And there's also we're all stopping and it's almost like we're allowing things to lay fallow for a minute, you know, which I think is really cool and I was just talking with Brooke this morning and I was like, dude, what if we integrated this quarantine or whatever we could call it something different but like a fallow time of the economy where like maybe once every five years, like the economy shuts down for like a year or like six months or, or what if every year, like a quarter we spend in quarantine. And, and my point is, is because a lot of people are getting upset about the quarantine and like they want their freedom back or whatever that is. I keep asking myself when, and other people like at what, what would you stay home for? Like, what would it take for us to be letting things stop for a minute? You know, is that mm -hmm. like a real acute climate change threat? Is it some sort of like real present like toxin? And I, I don't know what it would be, but it's for me, I, I when I look through the ecological repair lens, I'm like, this is good. You know, like I think it's also it's also really scaling things down. Like, how can you start a neighborhood? How can you start a business that can actually it's like what's the smallest circle 
that you can make that can provide the best impact. So like, you know, what can you do super locally that can be part of your livelihood, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it's really stripping down a lot of things. And I think it'd be really cool to like integrate some things. I mean, I've never experienced like a, a shutdown like this. You know, I think other people have in certain, in certain areas, but I think it's really interesting and cool. And it's also really scary. A lot of people have, you know, fortunately, you know, it hasn't affected me in, in ways that it's affected other people. I think it even forces us to look at our business models and see how we can make changes that can we're not relying on on this big machine that's so fragile like you said it's just completely fragile it's all made up we made it up mm-hmm. it's not natural like it's not like the economy is like this natural thing that grows it's like we make it up you know and yeah. so putting yeah so anyway i don't know i don't know if that totally answered your question but i think it's a time to be creative but also and also have things kind of bubble up on what really matters yeah, I totally see that. And it seems like that is kind of one of the big, the real blessings that we've had in some ways is that like for the first time, there's been a lot of people that have been one, able to pause mm-hmm. you know, for a bit, mm-hmm. spend some time maybe with their families. Mm-hmm. You know, like this morning, I was out with Zoe on a bike ride and uh, she turned to me and she said, you know, dad, I think there's something that I really like about the coronavirus. <laughs> and it's like, I don't have to rush away for school and all of this kind of stuff. And that, you know, she's getting time to just spend, you know, quality time with the family. And, and I think there's a lot more instances of that. But at the same time, you know, we also now have this point and this ability to maybe reflect on those things that are really meaningful to us. Mm-hmm. and. Then when we talk about that through kind of like the livelihood and the business perspective, uh, you know, it really kind of shows like where things are really important, like what maybe some of those avenues that maybe you were pursuing some path that was so distant and so far removed from just the basic needs of life. Mm-hmm. And those are tend to be the folks that seem to be the most impacted. Mm-hmm. Right. The ones that are kind of like tying it back to basic needs by their very nature have this more kind of resilient, you know, job security that's built into it. And, you know, it's my hope that we really do reflect and begin to kind of look at that opportunity, uh, particularly as we move forward looking for, for livelihoods, because, you know, a lot of people are out of work right now and are not able to pay their bills you know not sure how like rent's going to be paid or that mortgage is going to be paid and that's a really you know scary thing to be in but maybe at the back of their mind or you know they have this passion that they've been wanting to kind of do what i'm seeing right now is like there's like so much opportunity you know to kind of create businesses that are they can absolutely thrive in this context. And I would just love to see this, this momentum kind of continue forward because what we're, I think, really going to see is that those businesses and jobs that are really aligned with one, your basic needs, and, you know, is closer to those things that are, you know, just necessities of life, 
And those that are naturally, I think, more in harmony with ecosystems, right? So it's like, it's essentially the permaculture ethics, you know, those businesses that align closest with the permaculture ethics are really going to be these ones that really thrive moving forward and, and are where the real opportunities are. And I think we're really starting to see like the old kind of like dinosaur models of business, which are just, you know, based on, you know, extraction of not only physical, you know, ecological resources, but the human side of it as well. You know, I, I would like to see that, you know, shift away. So I don't know. It's it's just, a, I guess, a really interesting time to kind of be in right now. And I mean, do you have any other thoughts on that particular side of things or anything that's come up for you? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I think we're seeing, yeah, what's almost like what's not important or yeah, farther away from these core kind of essential needs are just kind of falling and dissipating almost. And I think it's a time when we can either just not remember and want to get back to business as usual as fast as possible, you know, or we can really use this, like you said, to, to, as like a launching pad to create these types of livelihoods, you know, and to speak up, to stand up, to act, you know, activate, to remember, you know, these basic needs. And, you know, all of us that are in alignment with this, you know, all of us all think that have been doing this for a long time, too, I think, probably are starting to feel a little bit more valued. <laughs> I mean, I know, like, I'm, I'm like, wow, I've been talking for like 20 years about like, th- this, t- you know, collapse of the economy, or like, you know, all these things, like, you know, the day w- that comes when like, these, these other things won't matter, you know, and I'm kind of like, man, this is all pretty scary. But I think that there is some security in knowing like, you have this, like, this preparedness in ways, and it's, it doesn't come from a place of fear. And I, I think people are being definitely being more drawn toward that. And I hope people are and I hope, you know, permaculture, people see that this is a solution. And it's a very solution oriented thing. People don't, people don't want to live in fear either. And that's not what permaculture does. It's actually like, it's optimistic. And I think that that's one re- and, it, and it, it's very, it's not something that you, you think about. And ideally, we, we don't sit around and think about permaculture. We do permaculture. We live it. We, you know, we grow gardens and we bring it back to basics, like you said. And um, I just, I guess my hope is that, that this, this moment isn't lost to like hoping things return back to normal, but that we can use it to create new types of jobs and to launch our own businesses, you know, even if things do return to normal, we can still have our own projects and businesses and gardens and plant trees and, and speak up and be a voice for, for the things that are going to be regenerative. Yeah. Well, really like that is the model moving forward. It's like, I guess to put it another way, it's like, when you say return to normal, maybe it's like that return to the abnormal right. <laughs> that, we're, that we're trying to avoid. And we're trying to actually move back into like a way that isn't insane. Yeah. And <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these, these, you know, disruptions can be portals into new reality. I mean, we know that in our own lives, right? When something, ideally, when something bad happens, it can be used to grow. Yeah. Catalyst. And it's up to us. I mean, we're not being like, controlled by, you know, overlords. I mean, to a certain degree, you know, we have rules, but like I said, being creative within that and really taking a stand for the things that matter. I'm coming out with it 
with that for sure. Like I'm, I'm, you know, feeling stuff bubbling up and I don't know totally what it is yet, but I'm excited, you know, to like kind of bring that, bring a new level up and, and be a voice and a person for, for more change as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, as we're kind of getting to a close here, do you, I mean, I know right now you're working on a couple different uh, businesses. Do you want to just briefly touch on some of those, like the mushroom business and some of the other projects that you're you're doing? Yeah. Well, we have a project going on at Terracore Zone. <laughs> I'm excited uh-huh. to see where that goes. We've been planting agaves out there and hopefully we'll get more mescal tastings out there and just, you know, have the that whole, you know, awareness around one of my favorite things right now, the agave distillates and, and mescal and stuff. Um, because, you know, that is bringing light to a very, you know, marginalized uh, community of people. And I think that there's a lot to, to both learn and support in that model. So yeah, that's, that's a real fun thing. Um, yeah. And then I have a medicinal mushroom company called Remarkable Wellness. And we do education around kind of building resilience through our mushroom allies. And so we take mushrooms like reishi, chaga, all the good superstars that have been used for a long time in Eastern medicine. And also, or I, you know, I could never write this in print, but they're really powerful antivirals and taking over a long period of time can really help regulate your immune system. So yeah, those, those two things are, um, are, are good. And, and I also really love, like, I've had, like I said, I've had a lot of people kind of calling me and, and wanting kind of support and a- advice on, on starting a business. And I mean, particularly, you know, more in the, on the food or product side. And I love helping people with that. And it's mostly just me asking questions, <laughs> but it's pretty cool. And I think it's, it's helpful. And so I'm always available for that, you know. Great. And if people want to reach you, what would be the best? Do you have a Ooh. particular website that we should send people to? Yeah, so I guess my remarkable wellness is the website. All right. We will link to that in the show notes. Awesome. All right. And do you have any just final thoughts that uh or anything that you feel like we left out in this conversation? I think that I uh, no, it's good. I'll probably have like a lot of thoughts tomorrow on it and <laughs> you and I can have another conversation about it, but yeah. No, it's always fun yeah. to talk, but yeah, I think everyone should take PDC for sure if you can and yeah. Well, you'll you'll be one of the guest presenters again in our first upcoming Woo! online permaculture awesome. design course. Cool. Sweet. I can't, <laughs> yeah. can't wait. All right. And I also hope to have you back on the show to just talk permaculture. Awesome. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. Cool. All right. Well, thank you. Okay. Thanks, Josh. Well, that wraps up today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. A few things that really stuck out for me in this episode is one, I'm really just excited about Deanna's passion towards making an impact through food. Food is this vehicle that we all need, and she wants to transform our relationship not only with the food itself, but where we're sourcing those ingredients from and making a greater impact in how we go about sourcing that. She also had some great insight there in looking at business creation. So looking at starting businesses that are framed around your core values and ethics, and then utilizing that to, in the permaculture framework, obtain a yield. And we are living in some very interesting times now with this pandemic raging on. And many of us have seen so much of our lives impacted. 
But look through that. Look through that for the beauty and for the possibilities. There's so much potential that I think could come from this. If we begin to take action, noticeable action on what we can take action on. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we are starting our first online permaculture design course that begins in one week from the dropping of this episode here. So if you've been waiting for this time, for this experience, now is the time. Check it out. You can find the show notes for today's episode at permacultureforthefuture.com slash episode 16. That's permacultureforthefuture.com slash episode 16. And then lastly, big shout out to all those folks that have gotten over to iTunes and left us a rating or a review. They've been great. Yeah, there's been one bad one, but can't win them all. All right. See you next week.